Why, hello there. A couple of quick things before this week's show. This is our first ever crossover episode of the KingCast. We teamed up with the lovely ladies over at the Reading Glasses podcast run by Bria Grant and KingCast favorite, uh, Mallory O'Mara, who also gave us the legendary Chud Buggins, who you will hear about in this episode, by the way. And while the intro is a teensy bit different than usual, the episode itself is pretty much the same nonsense you come to expect from Wampler and me. Indeed. Uh, Scott, Yeah, anything you want to add there? Yes, I do. Uh, I would like to add a corporate mandated ad break. You know what we love here at the KingCast, Eric? Stephen King. Okay. Yes, but we also love horror. And right now, and indeed for the past 40 years, there's no one else working in horror quite like Fangoria, who are our recent corporate overlords. Uh, We work under their umbrella now. Exclusive interviews, deep dives into horror projects of your set reports from the front lines of the horror genre. They're doing it all and with a wildly talented, well-informed, diverse lineup of contributors Where can our listeners find Fangoria Magazine, Eric? Well, you can only hold it in your grubby little hands, but in order to actually make that happen, you have to go to their website, Fangoria.com, and you can purchase your annual subscription there. And guess what? If you do that and you enter in the promo code KINGCAST at checkout, you get 25% off the annual subscription. Pretty good deal. And I think that's about it. So let's get on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Gonna break! Sometimes that is better. Hi, and welcome to a very special Reading Glasses crossover event. This is our very first page to screen book club with me and Bria, but we have pulled in a few guests for our exciting event this week. I am Mallory O'Mara, author and book devourer. And I am Bria Grant, e-reader and filmmaker. I'm Scott Wampler. I'm the co-host of the KingCast. And I'm Eric Vespi, I guess the other co-host. I'm pulling up the rear, you guys. That would wow. be very weird if you weren't connected to the KingCast at all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just a fan. I feel like <laughs> introducing ourselves was the hardest thing we've ever done. That was very complicated. Right. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of us, though. We got through it. We did. But we're really excited. So this is the first in a series of events that our awesome Max Fun subscribers unlocked, where we watch a movie that is an adaptation of something we read. And we had been wanting to do an event with our friends Scott and Eric over at the KingCast, which is a Stephen King adaptation podcast. Uh, we thought it would be perfect. And we all put our heads together and decided to read The Raft, which is a short story from Stephen King's 1985 short story collection, Skeleton Crew, and watch the adaptation of it in creep show 2 which is a horror anthology film all of that is very accurate that's exactly yeah, you, what we you did. got it that's all we except gotta say I, right are we done except i think one of somebody read the entire book whereas i only read the short story who read the whole book that, that would be me and the crazy thing <laughs> is, is that i've i've read it before and so i but it'd been a while so i thought we were talking about the entire book when uh, we said we were going to do this so i like a fool read all Jeez, however many 300, 400 pages of it. Yeah. Reading time is never foolish. Don't don't call yourself a That's fool. That's true. And this is a pretty special collection. I mean, it does start off with the fucking mist. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It also it has the mist and it has the jaunt, which are two of the best Stephen King short stories ever made. And survivor type. I'm a big fan of survivor type. 
I actually saw a short uh, short film also based on Survivor type. The uh, Shutter thing that they did. Oh, I don't know if Shutter did one. I feel like it's been made a couple times, but I saw one that I thought was quite good. Was it animated? No. Mm-mm. Yeah, the one they just they just did one for we interviewed Greg Nicotero uh, for Shutter did like this day long block of live streaming programming for uh, Halloween, and they brought us in to talk to him about the adaption of survivor type that he'd done for, uh, for shutter and, and creep show. And yeah, it's all animated and Kiefer Sutherland voices the, the main guy. I know about that, that, um, Halloween day block because I, the movie I wrote and I'm in called lucky was the secret film that day. No Ooh. shit. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It was really exciting. Yeah. You yeah. were going to, you were going to bring that to South by, is that right? If I remember. Back that before, is correct. Back we before coronavirus said no way. Yeah, we would have uh, been able to hang out. I I wrote and produced a short film that that got into South by, and that was our premiere too. And then uh, I know you remember. COVID I remember you up. did because I think my friend Claire is in it. Yeah, that's right, Claire Grant. Yeah, Claire it's Grant, it's a really no relation, no relation <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all big King fans. Clearly, we all love Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Um, He's all right. <laughs> you two are fans enough to dedicate an entire podcast to his work and adaptations thereof and we talk about Stephen King quite a bit on reading glasses and Bria you're even part of a Stephen King book club I am I am it's called the losers book club I um actually hadn't read hardly so I gotta I gotta do a spoiler alert or something right now, which is that we already did record this podcast in some capacity. <laughs> we already <laughs> talked about some of this, so now I'm feeling like deja vu. We um, did do a live stream of this and then failed to record it ourselves and whatever. So we're kind of doing this again. So uh, that's why I feel like I'm like speeding through stuff. But um, yes, I'm in this book club. Um, I actually hadn't read that much Stephen King or possibly any before I joined the book club. I've been in the book club for about a year. Actually, I've only, we read Stephen King every other month, and then the other month we read like a modern horror novelist, or or not modern, just some other horror novelist. Like we read Rebecca um, was one of the last books we read, so not modern oh, at no. all. Yeah, I love yeah, that. Those are the two categories of horror books. There's Stephen King and other and, and <laughs> other horror writers. It kind of is because Stephen King has so much stuff to go through. Um, mm-hmm. But as I've already said on that live stream, but I will repeat here, I think the last Stephen King we read was Joyland, which I really enjoyed. And not knowing much about Stephen King, not having read much of Stephen King, I I was like, oh, this is so different than everything else we've read. Right. It's wicked good. And also surprisingly short. It is one of his like normal sized books. <laughs> Thank God. Because sometimes yes. I'm like, are you fucking kidding that I have to get through like this much of it in the next month? Uh, that is so much work. <laughs> it is wicked weird when you look at the audiobook and you're like, this is an entire legal work week of listening. <laughs> yeah, I, truly. Uh, we 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 have some stuff in the works around the stand. And so uh, coming up with CBS having, you know, uh, the new show coming out. And so I took it upon myself to reread that as well, because it's been, I don't know, about 10 years. And um, I'm doing it via audiobook, and uh, it's it's been great. But <laughs> that initial <laughs> download, which is oh, almost man. a gig itself. I did it audio, also. I, I did it, it on audiobook, yeah. Yeah, it was like, four, it's like, you get it, and it says, cool. You start it up, it says, you have 48 hours <laughs> left to go. Holy shit. Oh, like, am I getting paid for this? This is too much. <laughs> 
I will it's, say um, I the the audiobook of the stand is fantastic, except there is a part of the middle where it's just the people talking at the various like at the com- community meetings, and that mm. part you should just put on high speed because that shit takes forever, <laughs> and you're just like, <laughs> I do not care about this. Something about reading it like and not listening to it, I think would be easier, but the listening is so tedious. You don't care about local bureaucracy and elections? No, not especially not on this fucking like I'm listening. I listen like four hours of it. Like it's like. <laughs> I would just go bureaucracy meeting. Who uh, who narrates the audiobook? That's a good know. question. I knew somebody's gonna ask me and I should have pulled pulled up the my Audible. Uh n- they're not sponsoring us, by the way, but Audible, if you're listening, we'll we'll totally take your money. Uh and if it, you go to Libro Libro.fm slash redeem slash glasses, you can get a discount on your Libro FM membership and buy it through there. Yeah, well, well, I'll do that once they start sponsoring us, too. How about that? Uh, Grover Gardner. We can hook you up. Grover Gardner. I'm I'm unfamiliar. He's got a good audiobook voice. Yeah, right now. I've heard, like, many... uh, Matter of fact, I I went through the Skeleton Crew audiobook, too. That's where I did my quote-unquote reread. And uh, Stephen King himself narrates, like, two or three of the stories in there. Ah. Cool. And uh, I was actually just going to ask if he'd ever done his own audiobook. A ton, actually. Oh, yeah, like yeah. I remember, I I dug up the audio cassette tapes, uh, audiobooks of the early Dark Tower books, which were read by King, and he read I think the first three uh, before somebody else start took over. Uh, but it's so funny because he's got such a distinct voice, and uh, I've noticed something really interesting in that the way he says the word bitch, which apparently he writes a lot because he's setting it a lot is forever like burned into my, my skull. Now it is, he goes, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Stephen oh, that King. son of a bee. Got to get that main accent. Yeah. It's very important. Got three syllables in it. B. <laughs> I've never actually listened to any Stephen King on audiobook. I'm too scared. Way too scared. Don't, like, Joyland, I also I didn't know it went I'm just too scared to listen to a spooky story on audio. It's just, it's like too scary for me, especially since I listen to most of my audiobooks in the shower, which is like mm. prime place for assuming that you're going to get murdered in your own home. So I never do audio, uh, audiobooks in the shower. I never do, or never, I never do like horror audiobooks in the shower. My wife was listening to uh, an audiobook recently. I don't know, I don't know what it was, and I probably wouldn't say even if i remembered but uh i was i was in my office and uh i can hear like commotion in the living room and it sounds like she's watching a comedy show or something you can hear like zany voices and all kinds of shit going on eventually i like came out of the living room and she's just playing a video game listening to an audiobook and i was like what do you what is this like is this is it supposed to sound like that and whoever was narrating it was like just butchering the material it like oh my I, God. I i like sat down and lit and just listened to it for 10 minutes just astounded i'm like they're not supposed to sound like that like they're not they're not playing like you know outrageous cartoonish versions of these yeah like, was it, it like an autobiography of a clown or something <laughs> i on, honestly um i remember saying that one of them sounded like who like kind of a clown, like an old timey clown like boy. Goofy? <laughs> yeah. More like more bozo, I guess. I wrote this short story for um something for Shutter, actually, for like a the the Video Palace book that they did. And they had someone do an audio book of it. 
And I'm scared to listen to it because I feel like I wrote it like in my voice. And I'm like, what did this, how did this person do? Like, I have no idea. And I'm, I'm, so someone listen to it and tell me because I am a little scared to listen to my section. Bria, I record my own audiobooks for my books and I still haven't listened to those. So I don't oh, blame you. That's fair. No one asked me to record this or else I feel like I would have said yes. How many hours was the lady from the Black Lagoon, Mallory? It was, it's nine and a half, I think. That's, that's good. Yeah, yeah it was not that. It's audiobook. I like that that girth for an audiobook. Forty eight hours is fucking crazy. Why? Thank you, Scott. <laughs> should we um, should we talk about the short story that we all read? Oh yes, yes. that's why we're here. Yeah, we're talking about the raft. Uh, it is a speaking of scary stories, a very scary story. Correct. Agreed. W- I, thought, I, thought you, I thought you had a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was I waiting. See what it's about, because in case someone's listening to this, I mean, I don't know. Do all of your listeners have they read every Stephen King thing, or do you feel like no? Uh, I we, would we say te- that a we good tell them to of them have. Yeah, we, I think the interesting thing about a lot of Stephen King stuff is that it's so it, it's so classic and it's so ubiquitous in a lot of culture. I mean, when you have Stephen King on the fucking Simpsons, you know that he's like bled into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a lot of people who understand the basic plots of a lot of the like Stephen King mainstays without mm-hmm. having either read them or watched them, and and you would understanding enough about the story to be able to listen to a podcast about it without having read it. Like The Shining, for example. Like most people know like the lines from Shining, like what the basic story is, even if they hadn't seen it or read it. I will say I was completely unfamiliar with this short story though before we read it. I had not read it. I didn't I didn't know anything about it and I continued to be surprised by Every twist, <laughs> turn, and sexual assault. <laughs> well, well, did there's you, no sexual assault, I guess, in the short story. But did did you no, want to have the honors then, Bria, of of talking about of kind of laying out what the the short's about? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, for college age kids, they're college age, right? They're not mm-hmm. teenagers, and um, they go to this sort of lake situation, lake house. Um, They're partying. They're having a great time. They all decide a good idea would be it's winter. I'm horrible describing plots of books. (laughs) I should have said that before I started, Uh, but it is winter. And they are like, you know what we should do before the, the lake freezes over or whatever pond. I don't know. I'm from the South. Uh, (laughs) Whatever freezes over, uh, we should swim (laughs) to this raft diving dock in the middle of the lake so it's like this i think it's this thing that normally you would attach like a giant dock to for people to dive off of but it's just the dock is left am i correct about that do y'all remember that part yeah it's just a raft that it's it's a pretty normal thing i think i think it's very narrow like the which is one of the differences between that and the um short uh short film uh, the creep show thing um i i feel like maybe i'm insane but i think it was supposed to be kind of a diving raft so it was very narrow um and or na- more narrow than the one that you see and um they go out there and then on the way out there the main guy what's his name randy randy, randy. Again, we talked about this during the live stream but when did people stop being named randy i feel like all randy's died off in the 90s like nobody i've never met anybody named randy even I when know, i was in I know an old randy and i know oh no, that's not true i know a randy my age i know a randy an old old Randy sounds like the weird, creepy guy in the, in your town. Like, yeah. oh, there goes old Randy again. Old Randy. So young Randy uh, and his buds, uh, a guy 
that he clearly has very complicated feelings for, um, but kind of hates and kind of loves. And then these two hot ladies swim out there in the middle of the night when it's dark. But oh, Randy sees this thing that he caught that looks like an oil slick essentially in the water. And then they swim out there and uh, that thing starts to kill them off one by one in these gruesome ways. And also it has like this like sheen on it that turns different colors and kind of seems to hypnotize them. So like the first lady, she sees it and she's like, I got to touch that thing. And she touches it and kind of like falls into the water. And then I can't remember what. Oh, the second guy, like it comes up and gets him. And then. Oh, and then we can get into what happens to the third lady. But essentially, this thing is like it can hypnotize you and then they can't get off of the raft because if they get in there, that thing is going to pull them down and fucking kill them. Yeah, well, and you forgot the most them. important part of this story, which is that they are all horny as hell and they all want to hate fuck each other. <laughs> everybody in the story is like very much attracted to everybody else and also slightly wants to kill them, but also wants to have sex with them. The true yeah, college experience. True. Well, it's, <laughs> at, at multiple points in the story, he wants to hit the women. <laughs> He literally is like, I want to punch this girl. Like, he's like, he's so angry. But I, I think that was in part, I, I don't know if it ever has a name, the oil slick. Does it? No, Do I don't think so. The circle, the checker. I feel like that was in part the influence of the oil slick. Um, It like, which it's not an oil slick. Spoiler, it's not an oil slick. It's a thing that. <laughs> the monster. <laughs> the monster. Uh, so the monster, I think, influences and, and brings out all of these bad impulses. Right, it's interesting. I just thought he was an asshole. Yeah, I think, I think he is. But normally, he's able to like push that shit down more. But I felt like the the uh, monster, like once you looked at it, it made you like feel like you're hornier and madder, and like made you want to like jump in or whatever. It like changed it's your a bad mind. personality enhancer. Yeah, kind of. I think so. Brings out the animal instincts, is what you think? I th- I think so. Did y'all not get that? My take on it was that it was like sort of staring into the iridescence of the the thing. We got to give this thing a name. I'm calling it Greg. Just call it, when it, just call um, it the blob. Okay, the blob is fine. When you're staring into those like swirling patterns and shit on it, it's basically hypnotizing you and putting you into like a, a, a K-hole where you're just mm-hmm. like stuck in your own sort of tunnel vision of thoughts. And, you know, it's using that to like lower your defenses so that it can then attack you or grab your hair. Yeah, I feel like it kind of like had a pull generally, but maybe that was just me not assuming that Randy wanted to hit people on a normal basis, but maybe he did want to hit people on a normal basis. Well, I'll tell you what, we did Children of the Corn not long ago with uh, April Wolf. And I was, I was shocked like to go back and revisit that short story that, you know, I remembered it starting off with the two characters in a car and they're in a fight. But like pretty early on in the short story, the husband's interior monologue is like he's like toying with the idea of just slapping his wife across the face. And that like pulled me right out of the story. He was like, whoa, this is serious shit. I think um, Stephen King does, has a lot a lot of that in because, again, I'm in the middle of the stand right now. And fucking Larry Underwood, you know, straight up smacks. Uh, uh, what's her name? Rita, the first person that he meets that's still alive in New York, you know, and she's like super annoying and dependent on him and like clingy and, and like she'll panic and like and so he like smacks her and like it, there's been two or three different people so far in the stand that have like, yeah, I think Harold Lauder, you know, felt like smacking Franny in, at one point, you know, and I think 
yeah, there, there's been like multiple times during the the book, and I'm only like a third into it, where where you know somebody slaps a significant other or potential significant other, and uh, so it makes me wonder if uh, you know if that's just something that King wrestled with. It, his story is that his dad like left when they were young. Yeah. Like yeah. when he was real young. And uh, so, you know, I don't know, maybe he never had a father figure or something. And that was just kind of the, you know, the, the 60, the 50s, 60s, you know, 70s. I was just normal here, you know, yeah, and that's, of, that's dudes hit, hitting women. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like you have to think about like in his lifetime, it went from, pretty okay to hitting like not not (laughs) that big of a deal to hit your wife if she like you know oh she forgot something at the grocery store or some shit to completely like if you think about it that like we're talking 50s 60s anytime before basically like the late 60s like feminist revolution like you would not it would have been like not the worst thing to just like yay wife what are you doing like give her a little slap if she took the wrong yeah. wrong way on the highway or something i mean and yeah. that happened during his lifetime so yeah uh, you know i i don't look at the relationship he has you know publicly at least with with tabitha his wife and go oh tabitha man would fuck him yeah up. Ta- okay. tabby would, yeah, would cock him like in an instant like you just get that feeling so like i don't think that that's something that that he would condone or that he you know would do in his personal life but it is interesting how much of it shows up in his fiction it's also worth pointing out that that sort of thing is uh, much more symptomatic of King's earlier writing than his later mm. writing. And I think right. that there's a number of elements of King's early writing that are regressive. Some of them just flat out racist. And in almost every instance, I think he's using that sort of thing as a shorthand to you know, define a character. And I think he's leaning on it as a crutch because right. he was a much younger far less experienced writer. Hmm. Well, it's all, I also really think that, I mean, like horrible racism and misogyny aside, uh, Stephen King's inner monologues of characters are really one of the most important hallmarks of this, of his writing. Mm -hmm. And I think that those things are what elevates this from being like a horny young person getting eaten by a monster story of which there are many and turns it into something that is much darker and much more intense. Cause as much as I joke about all the characters wanting to hate fuck each other, every single character in this short story has some sort of very complicated connection with everybody else. Even the two women who aren't actually friends, but you can tell are competing in some way. And the guys are kind of enjoying that they're competing in some way. And the two male characters are clearly like weirdly like in love with each other, but also competing with each other and all those underlying tensions they're bringing with them as they swim out in the fucking dark, which is truly the most nightmare thing I can think of as as they go out to the lake. And when they get on the raft, it's literally just the four of them and this monster and all of their tensions and problems and worries and fears. And it makes the story so much more than I think it would be in the hands of another writer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And I mean, and right, that's the reason you like you want you stick with it. It's not I mean, the story itself is cool. I mean, there it is cool as hell. That's cool as hell to be like there's this weird oil slick looking thing and it just literally pulls a guy like into it and then his fucking limbs are sticking up in the air. It's horrifying and like such a great visual image. The um right. The guy who's not Randy who dies. Um Deep. Yes. Yeah. When, so when he gets pulled down and it's like, it lo- he says, I think he says it looks like he's like waving or something because his hands <laughs> are like still stuck up in the air. Like that shit is 
brilliant and awesome. But yes, it is the character stuff that I think really works, which is why you can get through a book like The Stand because you are actually like super invested in these characters by the end. Yeah. There's no just uh, broad characterization. That that's the that's the great thing about it is the good guys have bad thoughts, the bad guys have good thoughts. It's like mm-hmm. you know it, it, that that's uh, one of the things I love about King. But I would like to go back to that Deke death scene real quick since we Please we touched do. upon it. Yes. Um, the thing that really I think is so super effective about it is how slow it is. Like he <laughs> dies, he dies pretty like quickly. He dies by being pulled under. Uh, like through the, uh, the boards of the raft, right? So he's, it's not like a quick, like, boop, now he's in the water and he's gone. He is like slowly, slowly being like digestion underneath. Yeah, yeah. And digested as it's happening. And like the way King describes how, like, when his head's poking up, like, er, there's like pressure that's like making everything bulge. And, yeah. and, and like his, his, uh, it's like his head and his arm and like one of his legs is straight up too. You know, it's like the way he describes it and how just slow and how they're watching this slowly being, you know, eaten in front of them over a period of hours is like, to me, that's like the key image from the short that sticks with me and I think is is the thing that really takes it up to the next level. Yeah, one of the things that scared me the most is the, the first death when Rachel's the one and she she sort of leans off the side of the dog and she's looking into it and she's really mem- mesmerized mm. by the blob. But what, freak, the, what freaks me out the most is not like the sense of anticipation that you have that she's about to touch this thing. It's the sense that of all the different motivations of all the other characters that you think that they almost want her to jump in. Uh-huh. Like Laverne almost wants this other woman gone because she's been competing with her for Deke's attentions and she's winning. And the, the arc of Laverne's feelings where she goes from like sort of nastily and cruelly, like hoping that Rachel falls into the, to the lake to immediately being in shock and screaming and being absolutely freaked out by what's going on is so upsetting and and just absolutely terrifying to me. Totally agree. Yeah. And then should we talk about the Laverne death? Because this is, a very oh. sad, sad moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, if I recall correctly, Scott has some extremely erotic thoughts about this moment. Scott, <clears throat> Look, go on. Listen, all I was trying to communicate <laughs> was that, and I, pro- I, I feel like I did a very poor job of this the other night. But well, I hope you've been uh, digesting and taking some notes because now's your chance. Digesting like a blob. Eating <laughs> <My>, uh, <laughs> deke over over hours. I think that. I think that it starts off the sex scene slash death scene starts off very tender and human and then it kicks up a notch and now it's just a full blown sex scene and then right in the middle of it, the fucking blob strikes. And I think that's a really effective sex scene in terms of King's overall history with sex scenes, which are largely unfortunate. You know, <laughs> now, okay, I guess before I say anything, I'd like to know how you dis- how you define effective here. <laughs> I just think it I, I think it works as written on the page. I don't I don't know how else. You're not to... saying it's like jerk off material. That's what no. Mallory's asking you. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not asking <clears throat> if it's in Scott's bank for sure. Yeah. I, I guess I want to know what you mean by effective, like effective as in is it sexy or effective as in it is scary or well, effective again, as in it is again, on your heartstrings? That's what makes it effective is the progression here. 
It starts off with them sharing this very human tender moment where they're just I mean, at first, he, like, freezing. Doesn't want, he need, doesn't want to hug her, but but then he does. And then they kind of fall into each other's arms. And then that that connection hits and the horniness takes over. And so now now the scene becomes a full on sex scene. And I don't know. I, I still every time I read it, I'm sort of shocked at that moment where he sort of goes into his mind by looking at the at the at the blob and realizes like in the middle of that that her hair has been dragged into the water and then she gets killed i think this is an effective use of a sex scene i think it builds properly i think it's got a, a pair you saying it's an effective use of a sex scene i will agree with absolutely sure and again when put up against virtually any other sex scene you can name in any king book i think it works really well agree with that i bought it and um they've already established the horniness of the teenagers they're like mm-hmm. oh you can see straight through her clothes like there's her nipples you know like it's very <laughs> we get it they're horny and so i i did buy that these two teenagers would decide to have sex on this raft sure. uh, even though their lives are in danger but i also thought it was the influence of the blob as well the blob was like gotta have sex with each other but again this is my interpretation that it's like pushing them to do things you know what's what's interesting to me about the sex scene is it makes the end even more horrifying because to me that they're sitting there it's dark there's a hungry monster floating around them they're cold and in the midst of all of this like it's it's a it's you know a life finds a way moment where and he gets a massive boner <laughs> yeah. and it's just like it's such like a it's such, it's such a like a young person thing that in the midst of all of this like he still manages to get horny and so does she and that's and when you contrast that with the end of the story which but somehow he overrides all sense of self-preservation in that like beating heart of himself that still wants to live and still is very, very human and very, very much alive in the middle of this terrifying situation. And the fact that he just, I mean, we're assuming by the end of the story just gives in, you know, he looks into the blob and goes, well, I guess like I have no other option. I'm just going to give myself over to this and starts entertaining thoughts about what it would be like to just like dive into it. I think that makes it even more scary moments before he has sex with her, he's, like, talking shit about her weight. Like, he, like, there's a moment where he's, like, she's so heavy. And, like, he's, like, because he's holding her up, you know, because she passed out. Mm -hmm. Again, reinforcing the idea that it's just the blob making them want to do stuff, but also teenage teenage horniness. I didn't think he gave in at the end. Maybe I missed that part, but I mean, he doesn't. We, it's it's left sort of open ended. He's wow. we don't we don't see his death. It's just sort of him standing there wondering what it would be like. He has absolutely it. taken a nosedive into that <laughs> into yeah. that you blob so? like two <laughs> seconds yeah, later. Sure. Yeah, that's what it's setting up. You know, at this point he's, he's gonna st- fuck that blob. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's got to fuck his way out of another jam, and it and it'll be <laughs> sweet and effective. Um, <laughs> Uh no no for sure because the uh, at this point he he's not been able to sit down because he sits down the cracks in the the raft like the space between the boards are enough for the blob to get through and so he has to stand you know on the boards and he's been standing for hours and hours and hours he's weak he's tired he's freezing all the thought process that we we uh, you know see inside of his head is that like he knows that he's not going to outswim it, and he just hopes to God that that this uh, hi- hypnotic effect of the colors that he's noticed 
is there for a reason. And that reason is to make it so it doesn't hurt, you know, when he eventually gives himself into the blob and it is definitely a defeatist ending. Unlike the creep show ending, which, you know, becomes more of a fight for his life. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how it gets adapted because I, well, there's one crucial change. I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a few big changes, but there's one crucial change to the creep show two adaptation that makes you, I mean, in the end of the raft, you, as much as you, you've seen Randy Stark side and some of the bad things that he wants to do, you still don't want him to die. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the Creepshow 2 segment, I, I I had seen this a few times. I haven't watched it in a couple of years. Um, I just And I had never read The Raft. I've never read Skeleton Crew all the way through. So I, it was very interesting for me to have the knowledge of The Raft movie segment in my head as I was reading it. Um, but by the end of the movie, by the end of the short, you, I was like cheering and rooting for him to get eaten. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Total same. Randy does not win you over in any way, shape or form. Like Randy, <laughs> Randy is a, well, it's funny. Cause the, sh- cause the segment in creep show, I felt like at the beginning was kind of focused on Rachel. And I was like, Oh yeah. Are they going to make her like the final girl? They're going to like change up this story quite a bit, but instead, no, it's still stupid Randy. And you have to follow <laughs> him to the end of the Fucking story. Randy. Fucking Fuck Randy, Randy, who like makes said this one does have a sexual assault, um, <laughs> and it's done by Randy, who makes it to the end, but not quite the very end. I remember watching this this uh, segment when I was a kid, and and it really did disturb me that that scene in in uh, multiple ways. One way that I could put in uh, to words, and I understood, uh, is that. So this is the girl that he's obviously sweet on. It's just him and her left in the novella and they're sorry, in the short story, you know, they consensually have kind of survival sex. <laughs> and in this one, she falls asleep and he's kind of watching after her, and then he starts like feeling her up and, and like it gets real, real creepy. But I, what affected me when I was younger watching this was the, the reveal boobs. <laughs> well, the, the 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 nipples was one, of course, but really it was the uh, way that they revealed that the blob has got her, where she's kind of has her face down on one of the cracks and in, in between the boards, and she turns over, and you realize that she's got it like half covering her face, and she screams out for him, and like in, in the, that disturbed me there, uh, and then of course when you get older and you realize like. I guess because when you're a kid watching something like this, you you just know that sexy stuff is, you know, sexy stuff or whatever. You, you're not you're not taking in. You don't know in, about consent when you're six. I don't want to, you know, to make light of it. But, you know, it's true when you're young, you know, when you're a preteen boy watching this stuff, it's like it, that's not something that's at the forefront of your mind. You know, that's something that that'll come about later. You know, hopefully if you don't grow up to be a, a MAGA person or something. <laughs> sorry, sorry, maggot people. Um, Not sorry, maggot people. Don't grab other people's boobs when they're sleeping. I mean, yeah, yes. that's why it's so important to to show, you know, consent in, in media because right. kids grow up watching stuff like this and thinking it's it's okay. I don't know if we were supposed to think it was okay. I feel no, like he, I mean I don't think I don't think Stephen I don't think the makers of Creepshow are endorsing this like clearly right. you're meant to so. watching this thinking he's a bad guy but you just like to Eric's point you're just watching it and you're not as much maybe and when you're younger you're not really processing it in as much of a logical way as an adult might you're just seeing yeah, it happen I think he got his crumbuppance and you know which is right. I mean so the thing about I I guess what's interesting about Creepshow is that people are often getting their crumbuppance you know in I mean in Right. Uh, most of them, right? I mean, I guess I don't even remember the f- 
first creep show. But in this one, they were all kind of getting something that they well, <laughs> yeah, we yeah. we thought they deserved in some way, shape, or form. Right, that's, that's, that that's a very EC comics, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was say, horror, like Tales from the Crypt, anthology thing. Yeah, um, and I I will say the I, I think Creepshow two uh, and suffers in the same way that a lot of adaptations of King's works do, uh, in the way that so much of the emotional gravitas of Stephen King's work is is like supported by that, you know, those interior monologues and that inner life of a character that is right. very, very, very difficult without like a voiceover to to uh, show on the screen without, you know, like a hundred minutes of watching a character like mow the lawn and hearing his thoughts. So uh, it, the besides the fact that this the short happens during the day as opposed to in the um, in the short story where it happens at night, which automatically makes it scarier because you're just thinking about all that dark water. And here it's more of like a teeny bopper. Everyone's in like in, in their skimpy bathing suits in the, in the sunshine kind of deal. Uh, you don't get the you don't get it. it doesn't feel as not as much underlying tension. I mean, they try to do it and you get a little bit of it, but it just does. It's not quite as much there as it is in the short story. Yeah, totally. Hey, can I like just I have to sidebar for a second um, because I was thinking about Creep Show because I just did this other podcast where they're going over every episode of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Have you all watched okay. it before? Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, I did at the time. Yeah, I think uh, I've only yeah. watched Freddy's Nightmares. Freddy's Nightmares. Yes, right. which is not. I kept expecting them to be creepshow esque like these people did something bad and then they're gonna get what they deserve but instead it was just like innocent people that freddy's going after because it is freddy krueger which is sort of a different <laughs> guy but because of the short form aspect of it i think i was used to like sort of like a tales from the dark side uh you know uh right. yeah like yeah whatever like like creep show kind of stuff and i was expecting it and so it was so weird to watch freddy's nightmares and have him just go after innocent people who haven't done anything wrong it's like oh what you're an orphan get ready to be (laughs) 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 fuck you orphan well well well, someone doesn't like having parents (laughs) (laughs) wow scott (laughs) and and so like in this one i was kind of glad because i mean here's the thing like king's shit is so dark and like I mean, as much as you can say about Randy in the short story, he doesn't deserve, none of these people deserve to be like, you know, killed by a blob on a raft at the peak of their life or whatever. Because I assume these people are just going downhill after this, these fucking jocks or whatever. But um, (laughs) I, sorry, sorry, jocks. Apologies to jocks. I think that's, that's why that, that change is in there where he's. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, it's gotta be. I mean, just consider. Okay, why would you make that change? And the only reason you would do it is to make the ending of the short less of a bummer. You know, if you've been rooting for this guy the whole time, that's not what, as you've already pointed out, that's not what Creep Show is. There's a sort of a just desserts element to the whole thing. Well, and, if you look um, at the wraparound segment, it's all every single short segment in Creepshow Two is like a male powerless male revenge fantasy. You know, it's either. Uh, the nice old shopkeepers that are getting beaten up by by like sexy bad teens, and then they get their their comeuppance, or it's the sexy bad teens who are getting their 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 comeuppance, or it's um oh, the rich the, oh, lady. It's like, oh, the, it's the, the lady who wants her wants a who has who suffers from the crime of wanting orgasms from somebody besides her husband. <laughs> she getting her comeuppance. It's 
all like it all center centered centers around like this sadness of this guy who feels like he's not good enough and then the wraparound segment is this like the little boy who's getting beat up by the neighborhood bullies and it's like it's sort of it almost feels like the extrapolation of like other problems that kid would have as he got older and him fantasize feels like it's the, the fantasies of this kid of like all these p- people that might wrong him in some way getting their comeuppance you're saying that this cartoon child grew up to be Randy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Randy! He's interested in science. He wants that Venus flytrap. I mean, that is you could draw a straight line from that to Randy being a biology student. One thing... Was uh, he a biology uh, student? Did you just yep. make that up? No, because well, that's one of the reoccurring themes of the short story is that they keep looking to Randy to explain things because they're like, Deke's like, you do science stuff. Tell Dude, us he's what like the a freshman is. in biology is probably like dissected a frog. That's like probably yes. the extent of his <laughs> biology. But to them, they keep looking. And, and, and honestly, it also, I, I feel like that sort of plays into it is this idea that Randy feels like he should be able to help everybody and tell people what this thing is. And he fucking can't because he doesn't know. And it makes him feel even more powerless. I think another thing worth pointing out about this segment is how impressive the creature effects are. You know, it's the best part part of the entire thing. They used every trick in the book to make that thing work. And it kind of works. It works better than I might've expected from a movie of that period, given the limitations of technology. And I think I would probably like if somebody remade this and it was, you know, like an all CGI thing, I don't think I would enjoy it as much. Yeah. I really like the creature work though. I would enjoy a CGI version of this. I'm just going to say, I think it could be very cool to see the like colors and the cool shit like on the blob. But I do think, one, this is one of the reasons they moved it to the daytime because of their probably financial limitations and how difficult it would be to see something and make this thing out on the water. Like shooting on the water like that is already like, you know, very difficult if you don't have, you know, I, I don't know what the budget of Creep Show 2 was, but I can't imagine it was some huge hundred $100 million budget film. And I feel I just like. Looked it, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just looked it yeah. up. It was uh, $500 million. Five hundred million. Okay. Well, then they no. should have made a CGI. No, I'm, I'm kidding. It was. They should have they hired should have an actual blob monster. The budget is a little higher than I would have expected, though. It's eight million. Oh well, I'm actually surprised by that. Um, yeah. I think they yeah. spent all the money on that car. <laughs> they spent spent all that money on that guy's hair in the first section. He was older detective from Mindhunter. I will never yeah. stop telling people that it blew yeah. my mind. Yeah, oh, mind completely. I was wrong. This is Creepshow one. Ah, I bet. Let's let's I'm, see. I bet it's. Oh, more. yeah, three point five. Three point five. Mm. I was gonna say three. Um, that that checks out to me. And I think, look, moving it to the day, it didn't take away from the scariness to me. And I I'm I'm kind of like impressed that they were able to do that. And you're right, they were able to build this like creature that. Should have looked like a you know a floating piece of um, garbage. It just kind of looked like a trash bag. bag in the water. But yeah, they played it in such a way. It's kind of a testament to the directing. I think that they played it in such a way that it it totally worked. And then they used all the money on the very last shot. Yeah, yes. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, they did. 
It's not just that you think that the the guy beats it. He swims to shore, it's chasing him, then he makes it to shore. Uh, it's the fact that he's gloating at it, and he's like, I beat you! And then it, the blob turns into a wave and grabs him and then, you know, floats right back out in, the, you know, its peaceful little lake home. Uh, wow, you know it, what? I have a pitch for a sequel. Yeah. And that is, the blob, you know, actually can just go on to land, and it's the coming-of-age story of the blob. It's his story. <laughs> it becomes the blob's story after this, because, like, now he's devoured them. He's both horny and knows yeah, about science. Yes. He, like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's his coming he, He's of got age. some this jock in him. Story. This is the prequel to the actual blob movie. Oh, right. love it. Actually, and I want I uh, since we're talking about the ending, I do want to bring up one little addition that I do think makes the it is superior in the film adaptation to the book, mm. and that's the very last shot where mm. you see a sign that says "No swimming," which <laughs> just makes it somehow so much more sinister. Just the thought that maybe out there there are people who know about this blog, <laughs> and instead of doing anything about it, are just like, "We'll put a sign up; it will be fine." Yeah, well, you, what are you, you gonna put do? a raft out in the middle of the lake, but also a no swimming sign. Very curious. <laughs> Seems like a trap to me. Could have made that sign more visible. You, maybe, <laughs> wait, maybe the blob put the sign up. Holy shit. Yeah. The blob put the raft up. He knows that the, the teenagers will, can, oh, right, that makes more sense. The raft is a better idea. <laughs> <laughs> teenagers can resist a no swimming sign. He's just trying to enjoy himself in his little watery home. And then all these people come in and bother him. And they're listening to eight, like 80s tunes and smoking yeah. weed and wearing that weird little bikini thing that that uh-huh. guy is wearing. When did guys stop wearing bathing suits like that? That's what I Good want to know. Good question. Good question. Inquiring uh, minds. I have no answers for you. I would never. <laughs> I could I mean, not pull that off. Any of our fathers wear those kinds. Mine did not. But did any of our fathers wear them? No, my dad my wore dad like trunks, you know, like uncles, you know. weird uncles, some uncles that were a little <laughs> no. sexier. Well, my if you have photos of I'm your try- weird uncle well, in, those, on, let- in those bathing suits, send them to Scott Wampler. Well, well one <laughs> thing, one thing at a time. Now I have to figure out who my sexiest uncle is. <laughs> yeah, he didn't wear one, but um. <laughs> Your other uncles just called you and were mad. Just so you know, <laughs> they're on the phone. They want to talk. The other ones, uh, <laughs> the other ones swam in burlap sacks uh, <laughs> attached. It was it was not flattering under the best circumstances. So much chafing. I know. Fair, also, these these children, these kids looked about forty five to me. The woman playing yes. the bird, I was like, who? mom is this playing this role yeah well that that that's the curse of watching any teen-based 80s horror movie is that you don't know if it's just a a 40 year old playing a teenager or if all the teenagers just look like 40 year olds because both things were true in the 80s oh my gosh there's one thing i want to bring up that i totally forgot to talk about in our live event and i'm really glad that i remembered it here is that there's somebody that i know and I think Bria might know this person too. I'm not going to say who it is, <laughs> but there's somebody that I know. <laughs> I'll tell you, Haley after, Joel Bria, Osment. You know, Bria, you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. This, but there's somebody we know that was talking about a while ago. I remember him talking about how he thought that women in the '80s just had longer butts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Instead of like this. thinking, 
We talked about this on our show, the 80s Is Walmart. that person Scott Wampler? Because yeah. Scott yeah. Wampler went off on... <laughs> and Because not realizing that just like bathing suits in the 80s were higher cut, but this person was just like, what happened? Like, when did girls stop having long butts? And I long was like, it's not like... Women born with short butts. It was a very short evolutionary period where women <laughs> were able to breed, so only short butts were born. <laughs> and with and shoulder pads. You would often see like an... Like a like a dancer in like a leotard, but also like maybe a jacket over it with shoulder pads. So it was like well, long cuts and big shoulders. Business you know? up top, so business in the on back. This podcast, but those two things are back. I literally own things with shoulder pads now. This shit is back, and I'm I'm fine with it. I want to look like a football player. <laughs> just, just realize that uh, you're you're gonna look like the Golden Girls because that's the Golden Girls is Exciting. is what I always right. associate. Yeah, is your butt getting longer? It's getting longer by the day. <laughs> I measure it every morning. I wake up in the morning. I measure my butts because I'm just hoping it gets like to up be. against the door frame, like with a little pencil. You're okay. just like, ah, yes. <laughs> a solid you- like 17 inches. I want a 17 inch <laughs> butt. That's the. <laughs> And then you pump up your uh, your shoulder pads like the sneakers we used to have in the eighties, <laughs> where you press the little button on them. I had those; yep. those were rad. <laughs> My parents bought me the knockoff version of those because they were trying to be cheap about it. They were called regulators. N- not oh, n- no cool. no um, regulators. Uh, like they were pump. Uh, it was not nearly that pump cool. Sneakers you pump uh, air into the, it, and they like get, I think got tighter on your feet. Mallory's too young to know what yeah. we're talking about. Mallory, there was an era in which you bought high tops and they had this little bubble plastic bubble button similar to i would say like i was gonna say like i don't know how to describe it and you you i know what you're talking about because some power lifters use it uh, a lot power lifters and mixed martial artists use it Uh because it makes your foot more compact and tighter giving it a smaller surface area so you it gives you a heightened ability to be able to kick and or lift things Interesting. I'm glad they found a use for it because I actually would say the ones I had as a kid, I don't think they actually worked as a kid. I think they did nothing. I think it was actually just an aesthetic. They just made a sound so it sounded like it was doing something. It was gimmicky bullshit, dude. This is the era of like hyper color t-shirts and slap wrap bracelets Uh and shit and people French rolling their cabarichis. Like this is a questionable period. In uh in America. The era of the long butt. May it may long may it rain. Chuck Buggins probably a big fan of the long butt. Mm. Oh, Chuck Buggins old is old, long butt or nothing for Chet. <laughs> when he's walking down the beach holding his beer koozie, he's scoping out for the lo- for the longest butt he can find. Yeah, 36, we, 24, we... 36, 48. <laughs> 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 I, they, he wants a butt that's just trailing like a wedding gown behind that woman. <laughs> Uh, it's a butt mullet. So of course oh, he's gonna do it. Butt mullet. Wow. <laughs> Party in the past. <laughs> when I was re-watching this, this is the first time I've watched it since since Chuck Buggins came into my life. And um I actually probably should explain who Chuck Buggins is for. Yeah, I just have to tell you Mallory texted me at 6 a.m. for some reason to be like, just so you know, Chuck Mug- Buggins may come up on the show tonight. <laughs> <laughs> This feels not like a 6 a.m. text, like not something that needs to be not so relevant and needs to wake me up at 6 a.m. Waking up really early. <laughs> and warning you about it. Like it's, you know, we may be reading your ancestry results and there might be some problematic findings. You know, <laughs> like that's that may, a, may not be related to Chuck. That's a 6 a.m. text, not Chuck. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, 6 a.m. text, hey, you have to be somewhere at 7 a.m. That's a 6 a.m. text. <laughs> Otherwise, don't text me then. I Mallory, just, why I, did you why did you text Bria about Chuck Buckins? Felt like it was important. Well, first of all, I do want to say I keep my phone on do not disturb until I wake up. So I I, I just automatically assume that everybody else does this thing. I actually do too, but I still know what time it comes in once I look at it. <laughs> uh, so Chuck Buggins is the creation of me and my boyfriend, Jeremy. It's a spoonerism of butt chuggins. And as soon as Jeremy said the words Chuck Buggins, we started developing the idea of this man named Chuck Buggins who like, has a mullet and acid watch jeans and ri- rides around in a Chrysler Sebring with the top down and like listens to Journey. And he just became this like ridiculous character. But in my mind, he is a, a, a Stephen King character, but also like the prime target for Stephen King books and Stephen King movies. He's every guy at a barbecue in the 80s. And he would totally love a long butt. And he came up when I, the first time I came on the King cast to talk about Pet Cemetery, And as I was watching Creepshow 2 and watching the adaptation of The Raft, I was thinking, and they're listening, like, they're cruising along in a in a yellow sports car, which, like, what college-age kid has a yellow sports car that isn't super rich? Uh, and they're listening to, like, some kind of 80s tunes, and I was like, man, Chet Buggins would love this movie. Also, I don't think college guys wear their, their like, Letterman jacket, and he was, wasn't he wearing, oh, no, he's wearing his, like, he sports wearing- jersey. Yes, I was laughing so hard at that because I was like, all right, they were like, all right, how can we show that this guy plays football? Cool. We'll have him literally wear his own jersey while he's driving around and going swimming. Yeah, that seemed that felt to me a little like uh, like you've never met anyone who went to college or play. I don't know. I actually don't have that many friends who play college football. So maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> write us in. Let's chut. Write us. Let us know. Yeah. Chut, chut knows all about See, this. What oh, chut, I, I suspect that Chut would acquire a letterman jacket perhaps from a thrift stop uh thrift store mm, yeah then uh-huh. tell people he played football in an effort wow. to to be impressive and i think he absolutely would have worn it out onto the raft and i also think he might have escaped the uh the blob wow yeah. you think Chuck through, sheer, through well when you when your body is soaked in in keystone light um, <laughs> it's the one substance that the blob cannot touch. It's it's well, like he tries it just slides off of him. Yeah, it's like what oil spinach of is to Popeye, Keystone Light is to Chet Buggins. I think. <laughs> oh God! Plus, if so Chet made it onto the raft, they would have all been fucking, and it wouldn't have been inappropriate whatsoever. It just would That's have been. True. I was going to say Chet would. Ne- Chet always gets consent. And he would, ne- and we would be rooting for him the whole way. Honestly, the rat, the blob would have come onto the, to the raft and partied with them. At <laughs> he would, he would have befriended him. Yeah, for sure. He would have just char- charmed say, that blob. To, yeah. <laughs> to Bria's point, uh, I think wearing uh, wearing that like very obvious football man jacket is like the decision of a forty year old who's like, okay, how do I look like a teenager who's in college and <laughs> plays football? Oh, uh, okay. I have the perfect shirt. Yeah, it would have been weird if he showed up in like a Boy Scout uniform. That would have been <laughs> too, too far in the wrong direction, perhaps. That would have been very weird. Also, I couldn't. One thing that bothered me while we were watching, when I was watching this movie, was I couldn't tell if the music was supposed to be coming from the car or not. I, I was no like, the battery must have died at some point. They weren't out there very long. I think the difference between the short and the um, besides night and day, the short and the the movie is that is that. It felt like in the short that we read, it was a lot, they were out there a lot longer. Whereas with yeah. the movie, it felt like they weren't out there that long. It wasn't like that. 
Yeah, it was no, one night, I think it was night, just right? overnight. Yeah, it was one night. Whereas in the short story, I think it's a couple of days. Yeah. Was it? Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. It's uh, also like, then it's like, did he have to pee into the blob? Like, what did he, what did he do to sustain himself? Did he drink the lake water? How no. quickly would you get sick if you drank lake water? Like, if you were dying of no. dehydration. Like instantly? I think no, oh, you I think could totally right. drink lake water. As long as it doesn't have, when I was a kid growing up, and I don't know this, if this has happened with Texas lakes, but every once in a while, if it was like a really grody ass lake, Sometimes there would be like a sign on the on the telephone pole out front that was like too much algae. You can't swim yeah. here right now, and you'd have yeah. to like wait a while. So maybe if it was like an algae infestation, which is could be where the blob came from. I don't know, man. Every lake I've ever been in is fucking dirty. It's all like thick black clay mud at the bottom, and there's just like shit floating in it, and ugh, like I would tadpoles and shit. Yes, lake, lake, the lake the lake councils are coming for you after this. The National Council. I actually think there is a National Council of Lakes, and they have. They're going to be calling you. And it's uh, and it's form and it's run by actual lakes. There's a (laughs) there's a lake like it. it, What they call what they what is alleged to be a lake uh, about. It's actually just a a pond who is was trying really hard. It is. It's a fucking glorified pond. I know of. I know a lake when I see one. This is not a lake. But in the area I live in, everyone goes along with this bullshit story that it's it's a lake, and it's it's clearly not. If I could swim across it, it's lake probably propaganda. not a lake. Yeah, that's but a pond. Uh, that's a pond. It's a it's but, a puddle. But then a couple of years ago, there's a big commotion out there. This is like one minute from me. There's like big commotion, cops and all kinds of shit going on. This was following a major storm that was out there, and it turned out somebody drowned in the lake, in the pond. Excuse me, and the body didn't show up for like a couple of days. And so now, not only am I bitter about the fact that this lake is not even a lake and a pond, but also it's killing people in my neighborhood. I'm like, <laughs> I think about this every fucking time I drive by it, which is. You Did know, you check if a raft day. was involved? There are no <laughs> no rafts on that lake. We I, we sometimes take the dogs out and and uh, walk around it. It's who, it's, who takes um, the dogs out? <laughs> oh boy! Uh, but it's three it's three <laughs> miles around. That's how big it is. <laughs> Just to give you the idea of the size, yeah. you know, so it's not, it's bullshit. So it's a, it's almost as big as uh, Bria's shoulder pads. Yeah. Almost as long as my, long as my butt. My butt goal. The pond has achieved so long ass status. It wasn't just the ladies who had long butts in this one. Deke has a pretty long butt too. And that like bikini thing that he's wearing. Wow. It, it was the butt. era. Yeah. Everybody. You know who would remember is fucking yeah, Randy. That's actually something we haven't touched on is the fact that in you don't get it in the, the film as much. But in the short story, I think absolutely Randy wants Deke badly. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think not the film. No, but the short story, I do think there is some homoerotic things happening. Which I think really adds to the tension of uh, tension of it. And like as as funny as it is that we can make fun of it, like I truly think that it's that like weird thing in like a friend group when when everyone's young, it's like everyone sort of has a crush on each other and is mad about everybody else having a crush on each other. <laughs> I know what you mean. Um, and this makes sense because, you know, the original uh, title for the short story was who's going to fuck on this raft? <laughs> <laughs> Question mark. Um, so honestly, I think one sense. of the things that that Randy's upset about is that the girls are there at all. That's something I didn't really get from the the short <laughs> story uh, much, but I do. Whenever you first brought this up, 
it did make me go back and and question what King's intent was because you're right there there is a weird thing that Randy does at the beginning where he like just makes like note a page dedicated to Deke's ass. Yeah, where he just makes yeah he keeps talking about how beautiful you know. So I, I think that the intent is to be like, oh, he's Randy's just the nerd. He's not ever going to be as yeah, be a Donald Jock or whatever. But he does spend an inordinate amount of time talking about Deke's great body. I that's how I interpreted it as well. That it was a that it was like sort of a covetous uh, thing. That you know, this is the guy that that Randy wishes he was. There's a thin line between love and hate, Scott. Very good. <laughs> so I've heard. Love and lust so is even thinner. <laughs> <laughs> I think it adds to it, though. I, I really, I really, really do. I think overall that this is a very effective short story. Uh, I don't want to say that the short film holds up just because, like, I forgot how sexual assaulty it is, and it was, it right. was so alarming to me that when I was watching it, I was like, "Oh my god, should we like record a, some sort of content warning before we do this episode?" Because it is absolutely alarming and it that's actually something that bothered me quite a bit in um in both the short film and the short story that laverne is taken both times it like because her hair is 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 getting sucked into the into the blob through the through the thing in the raft and it's just like it bothers me it bothered me extra in the film that it happens to her as she's getting assaulted by this guy i was like really like you couldn't have taken randy first like Laverne yeah. was to be the final girl here, but At he's got to get his that. comeuppance. You know, yeah, he's got to get it. I know, but it still sucks. Fuck you, Randy. Randy can and will get it. Yeah, gross. <laughs> uh, so before we go, I do do want to ask both of you something that we we always ask folks on reading glasses, and uh, clearly, listeners of the King Cast know that you both love to read Stephen King, but we'd like to know your other reading tastes, or maybe, maybe even your tastes in amongst the, the world of Stephen King, and so what is both of your reader wheelhouses? And we on reading glasses, we always define that as like subjects or tropes that always get you to pick up a book. Now, I assume you're talking, talking mostly fiction, right? Because almost the... No. It, you can no? say nonfiction. No, no, no. Yeah, it could be, no, yeah, it could be anything. I, 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 I tend to read a lot of I, I'm fascinated by the movie making process and I have been since I was a kid. So I read a lot of making up books um, whenever I can, like J.W. Rinsler. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars books are incredible. He did an, an alien one, like all those those super in-depth nitty gritty day by day kind of things. Uh, I, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. But when we're talking about fiction, especially within the works of Stephen King. Like if there is a, if the protagonists of the book are, are kids I'm, I'm in like, and I have been no for, orgies. yeah, with or without orgies. I'll take, I'll take whatever he wants <laughs> to, to throw at us. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a sucker for coming of age tales and I'm a sucker for him specifically the way King writes them because he writes kids so well. Uh, and so like recently, one of his latest uh, uh, book before he put out the his last short story book was uh, The Institute, which is, you know, following a, a young boy as he's being like kidnapped and you have to figure out like where he's taken and does he have special powers and all this kind of stuff. I, I, I think I can trace it all back to being like a preteen myself reading King for the first time and reading stories like the body, which became stand by me and reading uh, the talisman and it, you know, and reading all these, these books with kids as their uh, protagonist. For some reason, it takes me instantly back to 
uh, my childhood in a way that most forms of entertainment don't. What about you, Scott? Um, I, I don't read nearly as much as I used to, which is unfortunate. When I was in high school, I was reading constantly, going through a book every several days, you know, really voracious about it. In recent years, I've fallen way off of that uh, as I've engaged my ongoing love affair with Twitter and uh, letting my my brain be turned to mush. Um, that is an abusive relationship, Scott. You got to get out. But, uh, bro, I saw you fucking. You just came back, back to Twitter I today. I literally yeah, yeah. came back today, ten minutes before we started this this podcast. I got back on Twitter for the first time in like two and a half months. Yeah, you should have. You should have stayed gone. Not that I mean, we will miss your presence, but the the good thing for your health yeah, is that probably, a threat? Not to, <laughs> probably not to be probably not to be on there. Well, I've been I've been trying to be on there less recently because. You know, it's just bad for your mental health, and it's done wonders to to not be like hanging out there every day. But I'll I'll, I'll tell you just some recent books I read that I I really liked. I went back and reread uh, The Beach by Alex Garland and The Tesseract, also by Garland. My my mom got me a copy of that book when I was in high school, The Beach, and I read it in one sitting, just like could not put it down. Uh, I love Alex Garland as a writer, as a director. I, I think the world of that dude. Night Film by Marisha Pessel was another one I read recently that really... You like a thriller. Really? Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, it's all almost always like horror, thriller, sometimes crime, because I'll read Don Winslow from time to time. But these days, yeah, it's almost it's almost all horror, and it's all, it, like stuff people have recommended to me, because I'm just not as keyed into... Uh, the literary world as as much as I used if to. If only you knew two women who could give you book recommendations. That's true, but <laughs> here's why I'm not asking for them because I know I'm just going to be on my couch fucking around on my phone. You know, like <laughs> like you could be listening to an audiobook while you're on Twitter. Yeah, that's true. But the last few audiobooks uh, I've listened to have all been King stuff, and it's you know because I needed to revisit something for the show, and also um, my wife hasn't read most King. So a lot of stuff that I'm really well versed in, she's completely new to, and she's become more of a, a King fan. When I first met her, she was like, no, I'm not. I don't fuck around with Stephen King. But over time, you know, I think she's uh, she's become a bit of a fan, except for the It audiobook, which she and I've told this story on the uh, show before. But Stephen Weber reads that one, and I, I cannot mention the It audiobook without giving a shout out to that guy because he just crushes it as you would expect it's a very long audiobook but we got like 16 hours into it and then the infamous sewer gangbang uh scene happened and my wife was like i'm out and just stopped <laughs> she was just like no i'm not i'm not moving forward with this and i was like but we're like three hours from the end she's like no i'm, I'm fucking done i was like well i respect your position wow Anyway, I wish I made more time for for books and audiobooks, and you know that's it something like I hope to, to get back to. Time. Making time, but not really broadening my horizons. You know, like yeah. investing sixteen hours into the It audiobook, a book I've read twice. You know, is probably not as perfect a use of my time as if I was exploring new authors or. Genre, On reading but, glasses, we say reading is reading is reading, and all of it's fine, and all of it is good for you. So don't don't apologize. We don't appreciate that. A very fair point. Um, do y'all want to tell people in case they're listening to this on the reading glasses feed, uh, where where people can find you, where they can uh, listen to your podcast? 
Sure. Yeah, we are the KingCast. We're available where all podcasts are. We're very easy to find. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at KingCast19. And our Patreon is patreon.com slash the KingCast. We are on Twitter at Reading G Podcast. We haven't been on Twitter in a really long time because both Bria and I have been taking a extended hiatus but now we're back at least because i'm i'm using it again uh on instagram we're at reading glasses podcast uh we're reading glasses podcast on basically every way you can find a podcast to listen to whether it be apple Podcasts, itunes stitcher spotify all that stuff uh we're found at maximumfun.com that's where all of our like our actual website is and yeah we come out every thursday if you've never if you are a king cast fan and you don't listen to reading glasses every single thursday we have a episode we don't review books uh this is a rare thing for us uh in this crossover event normally we uh we talk more about reader culture we don't actually review things so it doesn't matter if you are a comic book reader an audiobook reader it doesn't matter what you read or how you read it you can listen to reading glasses and uh, you'll find hopefully something that helps your reading life a little bit that's the goal of the show Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for reading and watching along. Uh, I hope you had fun. And we're really looking forward to our next one, our next page to screen book book club. We're doing a Christmas Carol and watching Muppet Christmas Carol, which is the premiere, uh, clearly the superior adaptation of Christmas Carol. And yeah, check out our podcast and subscribe. If you aren't KingCast patron on Patreon, you really, really should be. Many thanks to Mallory and Bria. Uh, it won't be the last time you hear Mallory on the show. By the way, oh, we can boy. guarantee you that much. <laughs> I get. I mean, this is probably a ways off, but we should warn people that Mallory's next appearance on the show is uh, completely out of control. I don't even know how we're going to edit that one together. And by we, I mean you. I'm kind of scared to listen back to it. That I drank an entire bottle of champagne during that episode to welcome Mallory back. And it gets a little... Uh, it's a little bananas, does it not? It's a great title, and uh, Chud Buggins made a cameo appearance in, in this uh, crossover episode that you just listened to, but he's, uh, I don't know, I'd say he's pretty much a co-star of the <laughs> of her next appearance. We gotta get Brent Terhune back. He should play Chud Buggins, I think, on a, on a future episode, perhaps. So next week, we are covering a rather obscure King title, but a very good one. We get asked the question uh, a lot since starting this thing, like, everybody knows Stand By Me, everybody knows The Shining and Misery. It's like, they know the big titles. Like, what what are the the underappreciated gems of the Stephen King oeuvre? And the, like, number one answer, I think, for us right now is an episode from the Nightmares and Dreamscapes series called Battleground. Yeah, it's a very niche title. You may not have seen the Nightmares and Dreamscapes series when it aired on, what was it on, Crackle or uh, <laughs> YouTube Red or something? Um, I, I, I forget, but you can look it up on Amazon Prime and you can rent the Battleground episode, which which you should, because it's definitely the best of that entire anthology series, apostrophe S, um, episodes. And we've got a very exciting guest coming in to, uh, to talk to us about it. The guest is an editor, a film editor. He's not just a film editor. He is Quentin Tarantino's editor, a, mi- mm-hmm. a man by the name of Fred Raskin. Lovely gentleman. Yeah, he cut Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's worked with Quentin for many years. He's, he's got a hell of a resume. And, uh, you know, he's got a fascinating perspective on on creativity since he's the one who pretty much shapes, <laughs> you know, some of, some of these masterful narratives. 
Uh, we're telling you all this because uh, this was an early access episode on our Patreon, and uh, it's finally making its way into the main feed. So, it, you know, the surprise is already ruined. We done ruined the surprise for ourselves again. Right. That's that's two weeks in a row where you're not getting the countdown with the fucking, you know, the mystery of who the guest is going to be. But that's fine. We have some amazing surprises planned for you this year, and we're going to make it up to you, baby. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Uh, speaking of, maybe uh, this would be a good time for you to tell them about what's going on on our Patreon this Friday, what our bonus episode is. Oh, It's a special one. Yeah. Uh, This episode turned out so great. Uh, I'm very excited for everyone to hear it. I had this idea of what if we got a lawyer on the show to defend Andy Dufresne from the Shawshank Redemption based on the limited amount of information that is provided by uh, the movie and the novella as to, you know, uh, Andy's guilt or innocence. So it took me some time to figure out how to do this. I I know a lawyer. I have a lawyer, but uh, he would not be a good guest on the show and probably would be very confused and mad at me if I wasted his time talking to him about this. But we had one recommended to us, uh, and it turns out she is not only a lawyer, but she's also like a horror blogger. She's got experience in this in this world. Uh, her name is Lindsay Travis. Uh, you can look her up on Twitter at at smash Travis. That's T-R-A-V-E-S. And man, did she put in the work. She created an entire opening statement for this case. She comes in and walks Eric and I through the entire process of what would or would not work in this trial based on her litigation skills. And she just blows the door off of the place. And we ask all the stupid questions that you might imagine Eric and I would have in a situation. This is one of my favorite episodes, period, that we've ever done for the show. It'll be rolling out on the Patreon this Friday. If you are not already subscribed to the Patreon, now is the time to do it. If you haven't already, go to patreon.com backslash the Kingcast. So next week we have Battleground uh, on the main feed and this Friday in defense of Andy Dufresne with Lindsay Travis. Indeed. See you then. Later, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. 